scripture reading for today comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You can be seated, and I want to welcome up and introduce Brad Carpenter. He is going to be preaching for us this morning. Brad is the one of the pastors at a sister church of ours in Sacramento, Grace Sacramento. So join me in thanking him and welcoming him. Is it up? Am I on? All right. Thanks for your welcome, and thanks for having us. I'm taking just a moment to introduce myself and let the, my glasses unfog uh, so that we can do this together. My, again, uh, my name is Brad. I'm uh, one of a team of pastors, uh, two of us, at a church called Grace Sacramento, a church uh, that I helped plant half of uh, some time ago. The, the story is that uh, I was a part of a church plant, and my now partner in ministry, Daniel Yoon, was a part of another church plant, and those two churches merged some years ago, and God has been doing an incredible and interesting and difficult and wonderful uh, work of reconciling two groups uh, together as one, like he does. And uh, other details you should know, maybe... Um, my wife and I are Midwesterners, although we've lived in California for 20 years. And our children, we have three, are all Californians. Um, my son Asher is with me. He's our middle kid. Uh, he has an older sister and a younger sister, so it's a boy sandwich. And uh, we're, happy to, we're happy to be with you this morning, and he might get free lunch out of the deal. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Thanks for uh, inviting me, and thank you for opening God's Word uh, together with me and reading from the book of Ephesians. If you 
Uh, if you read the book of Ephesians, if you spend uh, much time there, you, uh, if you're reading it carefully, you'll uh, begin to realize that you're actually reading um, a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and he um, he's writing to what I have come to call the first multi-ethnic church. This little church in the city of Ephesus is the place where Paul says the mystery of the gospel was first on full display. And if you examine the book of Ephesians, if you uh, go to Ephesians uh, 3, chapter 3, verse 6, he tells us what he's talking about when he uses that word, the mystery of the gospel. He says, the mystery of the gospel, God's open secret is this, that Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, As missiologist Rene Padilla says, the Ephesian believers were discovering that conversion, putting your faith in Jesus, is never merely a religious experience. It's also the way to become a member of a community where people find their identity in Christ rather than in their race rather than in their social status, rather than in their sexuality or anything else. And so, uh, as we look at Ephesians 4 this morning, just a few road markers. Ephesians 4 is the part of the letter that starts to make it abundantly clear a a couple of things. First, that this reality, that the ethos of the church as a community where reconciliation with God and with others based on the work of Christ is possible, that that ethos is a primary way that the church is called to witness to the world. Uh, that, that that possibility being practiced and pursued in our midst is a primary way that the world will encounter something entirely new and hopeful and good when they're in the midst of the church. Um, God's not-so-secret plan is to show the world that it is possible for Jews and Gentiles, men and women, servants and masters, black and white, conservatives and liberals, Giants fans and Dodger fans, to live together in a supernatural unity where the spe- with unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what he says. The church is designed to be a place where, despite our differences, there is, as Ephesians 4 earlier says, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. This is a message that our hearts need to hear. Many of us will find it easier to believe that by faith in Jesus we can have eternal life than we will be able to believe that through faith in Jesus we could ever be reconciled in some of the relationships in our lives. Many of us will find it easier to believe in eternal life than uh, believe that we could ever be healed from some of the deep wounds that we have uh, because of race or because of gender or because of the other ways that we've been categorized or separated or used. And it is this, this hope, this gospel mystery is a reality that a divided world and a world that is disintegrating uh, needs to see. 
So a few months before the pandemic, my wife Olivia and I, we took our kids, three kids, as I said, uh, out for pizza. We went to uh, a high, it was a, it's a bougie pizza parlor in East Sacramento, which is the fancy part of town. And uh, we go there because I'm, uh, they have the best gluten-free crust in Sacramento. Uh, and so you get a picture of some of my issues. Uh, but uh, we went to, we went to this uh, bougie East Sac pizza parlor called One Speed. And while we waited for our pizza, uh, I was playing cards with our two older kids, Asher and Flannery. And I think my wife was working on a, a coloring or a craft project with our youngest daughter's story. And uh, we were involved in what we were doing. And the owner of the pizza party stopped at our table and started gushing almost with tears in his eyes. He said, this is what I dreamed about when I opened a restaurant, that families would come and be together and play. He said, all anybody ever does anymore is come and stare at their phones, and they don't talk to each other. And, uh, and then he started offering my children new clothes. He left and he came back with one speed t-shirts and sweatshirts for everyone and uh, was so happy and asked us to come back. Now, let's be honest. This guy caught the Carpenter family on a really good night. But he also only saw the, he only encountered the big picture, right? Our sort of outward witness. He did, what he didn't see was all of the energy, all of the missteps, all of the preparation that had gone into this evening. He, he didn't see uh, all the ways that uh, we had to pack and plan the activities to bring and all of the times that we had failed, Daddy in particular, to not have a phone at the table so phones had been banished and so on and so on. All of the energy that had gone into it. In chapter 4 in Ephesians, uh, this chapter is a transition from the first three chapters in Ephesians which are a grand explanation of the beauty of the Gospel and the rest of the book of Ephesians is an application, all of the ways that that plays out in day-to-day life. Uh, from this beautiful call to unity as a witness to a watching world, to all of that behind-the-scenes intentionality and activity and relational expenditure, that's the underpinning and the upkeep, uh, the day-to-day life of believers' care and interaction with one another, that um, with the goal of living in and producing a community where reconciliation with God and with each other is on display. So it's easy to read a passage like this. Kevin read it for us. And, uh, and read it really moralistically. There's a list of bad behaviors and practices. Don't do these things. There's also a list of things that you should do. And if uh, you should do them if you want God to love you. But that's not consistent with the gospel that Paul preaches in Ephesians. As Kevin said earlier, uh, this is true because God loves us. Uh, He determined by His love to save us. Uh, The book of Ephesians tells us that we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, not by avoiding certain behaviors and doing other things, but by belief in this incredible message of Christ. Believers in Christ are secure for eternity. 
But Christ came not just for eternity, but for now. To redeem that day-to-day in our lives. That's what our passage is talking about when it's talking about the way that you walk. That's a New Testament uh, that's a New Testament way of talking about uh, your day-to-day life. The New Testament writers would say, how do you walk? That's your regular operation. And Ephesians says that the gospel renews our hearts, and renewed hearts leads to renewed minds, and renewed minds leads to walking, living in a new way, day-to-day. Uh, living day-to-day, having put on a new self, almost as if we put on a new set of clothing, one-speed t-shirts and sweatshirts for everyone. And it's, uh, it's a community of folks who have put on their new, this new self with renewed hearts that opens the possibility of a community that can be reconciled and have such a profound effect on a watching world. And so, this morning we're looking at Ephesians 4, 17-32, and Paul talks about two ways to walk. Uh, the way that we were walking before we met Christ, and, uh, and I think the context of his writing reminds us or, or uh, tells us what we already know, which is many of us know Christ, and yet we're still walking and depending on a lot of the old dead ways uh, that we walked before we knew him. And Paul's warning is that we can be alive in Christ and not realize that we're letting things that have no power control us. And, uh, and, and so this morning what we'll talk about is just two ways to walk. Um, I've called it calloused hearts and the law of diminishing returns and then renewed hearts and putting on a new self. And we'll look at a couple of examples that Paul gives us. So calloused hearts and the law of diminishing returns. I learned, uh, pre- preparing for this sermon, that the, that, that title, the law of diminishing returns, is actually an economic term. It's uh, coined by economists referring to production. Essentially, the idea is that if you're starting a business, you're starting a factory, you're starting a venture, the first two million bucks that you invest goes a lot further than the 10th million or the 11th million. Uh, the further along you get, the more investment it, make, you, it takes to get the same kind of return, particularly a percentage of return. Um, but that's not how I learned the law of diminishing returns. The, I first learned the law of diminishing returns as a young Christian man who was in love and trying to date and get engaged and pursue a godly marriage while uh, pursuing a commitment to sexual purity. Uh, Here's the scenario. Uh, The law of diminishing returns in this scenario refers to the fact that the second kiss is never as exhilarating as the first kiss. Right? Uh, Likewise, with each encounter, there is a draw to go just a little bit further physically uh, than you did last time because you need to go a little bit further to feel the same kind of connection, the same kind of care, the same kind of affirmation that that last touch made you feel. It works in other realms as well. Law of diminishing returns works in food. The second double-double is never as good as the first. And it certainly works with addiction. 
always needing to do a little bit more, get a little bit more to get the same high, to get the same relief, to experience the same escape. This idea shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Paul describes this same principle as the way that sin works in our hearts. In verse 18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Darkness and under, darkened in understanding and alienated from the life of God is his way of describing the human experience which is to be human, to be created in the image of God and for His glory, and yet so broken and living in such a broken world, separated from a relationship with God, that we naturally walk around and we breathe and we do things and we live all without a sense or understanding that life is a gift from God. And it's intended to be lived in a relationship with Him. And so the, the shared human experience is living in a world full of tragedy and challenge without knowing where to find hope. And so trying things to see if they work and if it gives a glimmer of hope or an escape or a high, then a little bit more and a little bit more. Where the passage says, uh, due to their hardness of heart, maybe a better translation would be due to the hardening of their hearts. This is a description of the human heart that are not just hearts that happen to be hard, but hearts that have been hardened, steeled against hurt and betrayal because of what has happened to us. Uh, the, referring to the stubbornness that grows within us as um, we practice doing it our own way and resisting opportunities to acknowledge or ask for God's help. Practice resisting opportunities to rely on God and repent. Repeating wrong choices. Repeating the same old things, hoping for new outcomes. All of that causes the heart, Paul says, to become callous. Making it not only more difficult to respond to God when given the opportunity but more insensitive to the needs of other people. Here's how the law of diminishing returns works. The more I practice demeaning my spouse, the less sensitive I will be to their hurt. The more I depend on tiny lies and deception to justify my actions, the less I will flinch as my fraud grows bigger and bigger. The more I resort to anger and vitriol to make my point, the less humanity I will see in those who disagree with me. And verse 19 says, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The more you have a calloused heart, the more desensitized your heart is to God and to the needs and difficulties of others, the deeper and the more you will need to go into those vices and those practices and those habits, uh, the, the deeper you will need to go to feel anything from your sin. And that's the description. It's the description of folks who have given themselves up to sensuality and to greed and to the practice of impurity. Because those are things that used to give them a feel, used to give them uh, a sense that they were alive and now they've been overcome. But Paul says, that is not the way that you learned Christ. How do you learn Christ? Let's look now at renewed hearts 
and putting on a new self. I've been the fan, I'm going to date myself, I think, but uh, I've been the fan of a band called U2 since I was in junior high school. I love their music and I've found comfort in watching them struggle to figure out what it looks like to be faithful to a Christian confession in the midst of success and failure. The first time I saw them in concert was in the year, uh, I think it was early 2002, so just months after uh, the 9-11 attacks of 2001. And when they played their song, Where the Streets Have No Names, uh, it's a song that uh, looks up from unnamed streets in the slums of earth to the streets of heaven. And the words, uh, g- part of the words go like this, The city's a flood, and our love turns to rust. We're beaten and blown by the wind, trampled in dust. I'll show you a place high on the desert plain where the streets have no name. And as they played this song, which was already one of my favorites, they scrolled the names of all of the people who had died on 9-11 on a huge screen behind the band. And as it happened, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by what I heard, and I was carried away by the message Uh, I was carried away by the hope of heaven, uh, something that I needed so badly. I needed to believe that things would someday be made right. So it was good news to my heart that gave me hope and carried me to a new place. And Paul uh, says that we, we learn Christ by hearing. Hearing the good news of the gospel and being carried away by what you hear into the reality of the gospel. As Ephesians has put it, though we were dead in our trespasses and the sins uh, and sins in which we once walked, the way that we lived day to day, Christ died in our place. He was resurrected and because the consequences, consequences of sin is death and Christ has already conquered death. Uh, by faith we can repent of our sin, believe in what Christ has done, and by faith we put on Christ, he says, like a new garment, like a one-speed t-shirt. And uh, we put on Christ by faith and are raised up with Him, carried away by this message. We're saved by believing in what we hear putting off our sin and putting on Jesus' forgiveness and His righteousness. And Paul says that uh, that's not just the way that you get saved, but it's the way that you grow. The way that we're reconciled to each other. It's the way that we become more like Christ and the way that a community gives witness to the reconciling power of the gospel. The way that we were saved is the way that we're to live. It's the way that we are to walk day by day, putting off your old self, being renewed, and putting on a new self. He says, put off your old self. Uh, What he's referring to is the fact that before we know Christ, we are not able to not sin. We have an abundance of freedom and all of our options are some form of rebellion 
against God. It's the manner of life without Christ. But he says, uh, when we put that off and, and, be, and we're carried away by the message of the gospel, we can be renewed. Notice that that word uh, is not uh, renew yourself. It is not something that we do ourselves, but something that happens to us. To be renewed happens when we put our faith in Christ. And he says we're renewed in the Spirit and given a new heart. A, a new heart that's alive again and regenerated. It's to be renewed and then put on a new self. Becoming a new person. Justified by Christ. We are now, for the first time in our lives, able to not sin. We are free to not sin for the first time in our lives. We're free to not sin in the situations that we have always been controlled by our sin. Uh, We've always been controlled by the law of diminishing returns. uh, and, And now we have an opportunity to choose something new. That doesn't mean that we always prevail. In fact, the whole passage suggests that lots of us are still struggling and walking the ways that we used to walk. But what it does mean is this, that like the law of diminishing returns turned inside out, the more you put off the old way and put on Christ, the softer your heart gets, the more that you will feel, the more that you will understand what it means to love, the more you will hope. And you can really start to get carried away. Paul gives a few examples at the end of the chapter. I'm just going to look at two of them. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Why do we tell lies? To cover up our sin? To cover up our failures? To make ourselves look better than we are? To blame shift? Uh, When it comes down to it, we lie to justify ourselves in one situation or in, in all of life. Now, notice the process that Paul gives in this example. He says, put off your old self. Put away falsehood. When I realize that I'm in that sort of situation where I feel the need to justify myself by a little lie, a little fib, a little fabrication... I suddenly, for the first time, instead have the opportunity to realize, because I'm in Christ, I have a choice, and realize uh, that I have already been justified. Christ has set me right. No matter what I do, even if if it is despicable, uh, Jesus' blood is sufficient for my Forgiveness, And so for the first time uh, in my life, I don't have to try to justify myself by uh, saying that things are better than they truly are. And so I can be renewed because I've been renewed by Christ because he's justified me at the cross. I don't need to justify my actions or change the truth. And so I can choose to put on a new self, a new self in Christ who we're told in the scriptures is the way, the truth and the life. Believing that if I really want to be reconciled with someone, they'll have to know the truth. 
If we're really going to forgive each other, we have to tell it like it is. That's what Kevin was talking about in the confession time. Let's be honest with God so that we can magnify His forgiveness. And so uh, it goes. One example of this playing out in the community. In the aftermath of apartheid in South Africa, Nelson Mandela and others helped create a Truth and Reconciliation Commission with the understanding that reconciliation and forgiveness could not happen between blacks and whites in South Africa until the truth about the apartheid had been uncovered and told. And so, uh, as following that example, if the church is to be a place where people see that they can be reconciled to God and to one another, it must be a place where the truth is being told. And the truth will set us free. A second example, verses 26 and 27. Be angry, he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. A few observations. First, notice that he doesn't say you should never be angry. God is angry. We, we read in the Scripture that God gets angry at injustice. He's angry at cruelty. He's, his holiness demands that He's angry at impurity. Uh, Jesus turned over tables in the temple where people had turned worship into business. And so there, there must be such a thing as righteous anger. But I, what Paul is getting at is that anger is a powerful emotion. A reactive emotion that, uh, that, that, that uh, pushes us into action. And uh, rather than express ourselves directly and productively, uh, be clear about what has offended us so that we can find resolution, we're often uh, tempted, we often choose to express anger with sin, with profanity with the threat of violence or actual violence or demeaning others or the destruction of property. We're driven to it. i got to do something. So the instruction is to put off the old self that justifies sin because of anger. This is a famous uh, passage earlier in my life. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Many young couples uh, like us, when we were first married, uh, we, we, we read this very literally. We, we said, uh, you can na- if you have a biblical marriage, you can never go to bed angry. And I'll tell you what, we had some late night doozies. We had some legendary fights in which we added all kinds of sin into our disagreement because we were exhausted and we had lost self-control. And I think a better reading is to realize that what Paul is uh, talking about here, what Paul is doing, is instruction is actually giving attention to the law of diminishing returns. The warning is against letting your heart get calloused by dwelling in anger. It's a, it's a warning against practicing being angry at people and not planning on resolving the issue. It's a, it's a warning against letting anger uh, simmer and brew and allow you to wish harm on others. Uh, Brian Chappell says, allowing anger to simmer 
the kind of anger that desires to see other people hurt, gives Satan a foothold in our lives from which he can begin to control our world. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, don't give a foothold to the devil. Notice the process. Be angry, but put off your old self. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Once I've identified that I'm in that same old situation, this is the place where I double down and I get deeper, where I refuse to apologize and instead add more sin to the fire. Oh, this is the moment when I go away and then I brew and I, and I simmer over this and I think all sorts of terrible things about the other person. Uh, once I realize that I'm in that same old situation, because I'm in Christ, I have a choice to put off the reaction that is my default, to put off the reaction in this situation that maybe even everybody around me would say is justified and be renewed because I've been renewed by Christ, because He's justified me at the cross. I don't have to be justified by my anger or by what I do because I'm angry. I can choose to put on a new self. A new self in Christ who does not have to sin, but can, in fact, let anger be an indication like other pain in my life. Something's wrong. Healing needs to happen. Uh, let frustration lead to communication, and communication lead to truth-telling and the pursuit of one another to find understanding and truth and reconciliation, which is the witness that a watching world needs to see. What if there was a group of people who, when they were angry, did not sin, but instead were reconciled? That would be, uh, that would be a radical witness to a watching world. Several more examples uh, from Paul uh, that you can do as homework, if you like, on, uh, on thieving and... Uh, and the way that we talk. But let me pray this morning as we close. Lord Jesus, um, as you call us to follow you, we're reminded that though you were in very nature God, equal with him, uh, you did not grasp onto that, but instead uh, put off and poured out uh, your divinity and took on you dressed yourself uh, in our very flesh. And then uh, in an act of incredible service and sacrifice, you gave yourself for us. Uh, that we might be renewed and restored and able for the first time uh, to be reconciled to you and to one another. And Lord, we pray that this would take hold in our lives by faith and carry us away uh, into relationship with you and with one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.